8 with Sakina Kamwendo on AM Live. The Forum at 8 with Sakina Kamwendo. It's eight minutes after eight. Thank you so much for tuning into the show this morning. Time now for the Forum at Eight. And this morning, are we going to focus on events on the African continent? Many of you are asking me about elections in Uganda and what's been happening there. Well, this morning we shall go there. We'll unpack that. We'll find out what the latest is in Burundi and also talk about some other situations, perhaps closer to home with Zimbabwe. Uh, there have been talks about land grabs in Namibia. All of these things going on on the continent are still dealing with the insurgency of groups like Boko Haram um, out in uh, Nigeria and spreading to uh, neighboring countries there and also uh, the troubles in the Horn of Africa, that region. So there's a lot going on on the rest of the continent and uh, we're just going to try and hone in on some of the headline grabbing stories this morning and joining us for the discussion uh, Stephen Grutz who's program head for the APRM and governance at the South African Institute of International Affairs uh, Saia thanks so much for coming through Morning, Sakina. Thanks so much for having me. And of course, uh, we'll be joined by Professor Chris Landsberg, who's the chair of the African Diplomacy at the University of Johannesburg. We'll be joined by him a little later on. But um, uh, Stephen, if we could just start by looking at Uganda. Obviously, uh, many uh, news agencies still running with that story. Mm. Uh, the election came, the election is gone. And of course, uh, the incumbent, uh, President Yuveri Museveni, has prevailed. But... Not unexpectedly, mm. there has been a lot of controversy around that election. Yes, well, as it's his fifth term now, um, uh, so he's been in power since 1986. I looked it up yesterday. He's the fifth long, uh, longest reigning African uh, president on the continent uh, in the company of people like uh, President Robert Mugabe and uh, Dos Santos from um, Angola. So he has been in power a long time. He took power in an insurgency in 1986. But since then, he has legitimized his rule through, uh, through elections every five years. Um, he's 71 years old, and he won this election quite easily, although his percentage did drop. He got in the middle 60% at the last election, about 66%. I think this time he got 61%, which was a 5% drop. But nevertheless, he, he won it quite easily, but it was not... Uh, perhaps the best conditions in which to hold an election because there was a lot of intimidation. Uh, the, the head of the uh, main opposition party, Kezia Berzije, who was actually Museveni's doctor when they were uh, fighting rebels, was arrested four times in eight days, including yesterday. Uh, that's harassment. And I think uh, there's, there was violence on the streets of Kampala, which has never happened in, in Ugandan elections before. I think being the incumbent gives you a great advantage and you have the resources of state to mobilize mobilize uh, behind you. And now that's exactly what happened in Uganda. But what does that say about the credibility of the election? Because now you have uh, other leaders of, of, of other sovereign states congratulating uh, President uh, Museveni, knowing full well mm. the conditions under which this election actually took place. Well, what sort of message does that send out? You know, it's so difficult because to what extent... Do you nullify an election or to what extent, how many irregularities do there have to be for the, for the election to be invalid? There were the observer missions which went all commented that, for example, the media environment was not neutral, was very, fa- uh, very much in favor of the ruling uh, national re- resistance movement, the NRM, Museveni's party. Um, there were uh, ballot papers that got to stations late. There was a bit of a, there was a, a climate of, of fear and violence, certainly in the capital Kampala. So all the observer missions mentioned that, mentioned those irregularities. But is that enough to invalidate the election? It doesn't seem so. 
Um, and, so and what would it take then to invalidate well, that, an election? Have you, can you recall uh, an election in, in Africa recently that's been invalidated? No, and, and, and this is precisely yeah. what I'm wondering about. Yeah. Because if there is clear evidence of intimidation mm. and violence in the lead up to an election, what then will it take? Well, that's a very good question. I think, unfortunately, we have, uh, you know, heads of state stick together and uh, they are very quick to congratulate uh, somebody who appears to have won an election. I mean, if you look at Zimbabwe, there have been many, many disputed elections over the last 15 years and there's still cases in the court from two elections ago. So these things take an enormous uh, amount of time to go. And observer missions are precisely that. They're observers. They observe and they give their opinion. But at the end of the day, I think... what value do they add? Well, that's a very good question. I think they're very expensive. Um, they often bring in uh, ex-heads of state who, who don't come cheap. They um, are sometimes uh, accused of sitting in the hotel and, and uh, not actually going out on the ground. Um, they do, but some of them do their best, and, and they, they form part of a picture. But at the end of the day, you know, the, uh, the government uh, can just ride roughshod over them. And, for example, yesterday Museveni said when the, the EU, object, uh, the EU uh, observer mission raised some objections, said, well, I'm not here to be lectured to by the West. Um, so it's a very problematic uh, um, issue. Th- there's an important new um, African standard or, or code that's been adopted called the African Charter on Democracy, Elections and Governance, uh, ACDEG for short. And South Africa was very, very instrumental in getting that uh, that uh, treaty uh, developed and also ratified. It's, it was finally ratified by enough countries in 2007 and came into effect in 2012. And that's Standard that actually commits countries to holding free and fair elections, to respecting the rule of law, to promoting democracy and governance. But like many of these uh, good policies and good uh, instruments, it's not really enforceable. We don't have a, an African police force or an African army that's going to say, well, you didn't comply and we're going to enforce this and we're going to impose sanctions on you. So elections are very tricky and, and sometimes it, it creates cynicism. People think, well, are we, mm. are we just going through the motions here? I mean, somebody, I, I read a comment yesterday about the Ugandan election, said Museveni wants to uh, declare himself president for life. Why doesn't he just do that and dispense with uh, the farce of, of having elections? But you know, having having said that, I think there, you know, it's very difficult to nullify uh, an election completely. What one might say is that elections shouldn't be held in a climate where where they're not conducive. But we've seen, you know, right across the continent and repeatedly uh, elections being held all the time. And sometimes they create more problems than they solve. It's a bit of a catch-22, though, isn't it? Yes. Because if we're talking about democratization, then there is that expectation that you should be going to elections um, periodically Absolutely. and regularly. Absolutely. Um, but what we're seeing is, is sometimes uh, the legitimization of... Uh, authoritarian rule through elections. So some of these presidents uh, and, and ruling parties are incredibly good at manipulating the process. And there's so many places, uh, 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 stages on the election cycle that the process can be manipulated right from, who is allowed to register, what documents they need, the voters' role. Uh, you know, uh, in, in, in countries like uh, Zimbabwe, for example, there have been dead voters on the voters' role for a long time. Uh, the, the tricks of busing people into different constituencies uh, there can be irregular, uh, uh, irregularities when the ballots are actually put into the boxes, uh, when during the counting process, during the announcement process. So what countries have to try and do is have 
credible, independent electoral commissions that can try and plug those holes and make sure that there's no cheating or that the cheating is minimized. Um, but some countries don't have independent electoral commissions. That often the, uh, that's a huge point of controversy. Who sits on the electoral mm. commission? Who appointed them? And it's usually the president. Who are they loyal to? Sometimes they're, they're very politicized bodies. Often they're very, very politicized bodies. And we can see even in South Africa when, uh, you know, we had, uh, we have a very, very respected independent Electoral Commission, but uh, when there's questions about leadership with uh, Advocate Panzi Tlakula and the scandal that surrounded her, the credibility of the institution gets questioned. Um, so that's a that's a vital um, area that I think needs needs much more attention. Stephen, you head up uh, the um, APRM, uh, the African Peer Review Mechanism, and Good Governance at uh, the uh, South African Institute of International Affairs. Now, a mechanism like the peer review. How do you think that would possibly play into perhaps facilitating better elections and and overall better governance Mm. on the continent? What sort of role could you have Mm. uh, this sort of program playing more on the continent? Well, maybe just for your listeners, I'll I'll explain a little bit about what the peer review mechanism is. uh, It started in 2002-2003. It was very much part of uh, that that, uh, ideological uh, impetus that President Mbeki gave to to reforming Africa to the creation of the African Union in the early 2000s. It's a voluntary mechanism whereby countries subject themselves to scrutiny on their governance uh, record, so including political governance, economic, socioeconomic development, corporate governance. Um, the country uh, does a self-review, and it basically analyzes where its governance weaknesses are. And at the end of that process, um, an external team comes in, also does an evaluation, and eventually a report is produced. Now, these reports are thick. They uh, uh, as big as telephone books, four or 500 pages. And so, so sometimes uh, nobody really reads them. But those reports are, have, have proven incredibly um, uh, valuable uh, in, in taking a picture of what the governance situation is in the country at the time. And... Um, for example, in South Africa, xenophobia was one of the issues that was predicted. It said that this is a, a ticking time bomb and, and needs to be taken uh, into account. This was in 2006, 2007. That at that time, the government said, no, this is not a problem. And then we had the flare-up uh, in, in 2008 where 60 people died and, and, and subsequent flare-ups of, of, uh, of that. So the a- APRM is an incredibly good diagnostic tool. Mm-hmm. But – it hasn't quite worked in the way that it was envisaged in that the peers who are meant to be the heads of state of the participating countries have not really held each other to account. So another example was was the APRM report on Kenya also uh, predicted and said that uh, the elections need to be watched very carefully and there's a great danger of ethnicity being brought into elections and, and uh, violence occurring. Again, the government uh, ignored that. I think the APRM back in 2008, uh, and of course we know what happened in, in the 2007 elections in Kenya, which there was a lot of violence, a thousand people are estimated to have been killed. There was a great opportunity for uh, the APRM leaders, those peers, to hold at that time President Mwaki Baki to account, but they never did. Um, he wasn't at the next meeting, and there was no uh, convening of, of those peers to say, we don't like what you've done. And unfortunately, um, 
I think there's a reluctance to criticize one another. The APRM was meant to make dialogue more more palatable, was meant to make criticism more palatable. And yes, there have been some robust discussions when these reports have been presented. But is this a rapid mechanism that can be deployed to try and mediate an election problem? Um, No. Is it something that's trying to uh, raise the standards of of governance in the country? Definitely, yes. In in the continent and in individual countries, definitely, yes. But it's a very slow-moving beast. Uh, It's like uh, trying to turn a battleship around. That takes a long time, and these values take a long time to inculcate. But it's it's not something that's going to be able to say, look at an election in Uganda and say, we've got problems with this. Well, we're speaking to uh, Stephen Gritz this morning and talking about Africa and what's been happening on the continent, headline-making stories. And when we come back, we'll also open the lines, 891 SMS us to 34701, Twitter, Facebook, AM Live on SAFM. It's your favorite time of the morning. The Forum at 8 with Sakina Kamwendo. Favorite time of the morning on AM Live. That's 22 minutes after 8. Thank you so much for tuning in. On the Forum at 8 this morning, we are focusing on some of the headline-making stories on the African continent uh, with uh, Stephen Grutz. And um, let's talk a bit about Burundi. Ban Ki-moon, um, U.S. Secretary General, he's due there. He's uh, He'll be visiting Burundi. So they, of course, also have been in the news for all the wrong reasons, by and large. Uh, again, violence on the streets, um, another term for the incumbent. So do you think that this is an opportune moment for Ban Ki-moon to actually visit Burundi? Well, I think the international community is desperate to try something because it seems that uh, the AU's efforts have, have not borne, borne any fruit. Um, you also got to remember that uh, Ban Ki-moon is in his last year as Secretary General. His term ends at the end of December, and he's in a way trying to build his legacy. Um, not not to be cynical about it, but I think um, he certainly is is going to try. He's already in Burundi. He arrived yesterday, but it's a very short visit. And I think he's going to try and reason with uh, Piran Kurunziza, who's the, the incumbent president, to accept some kind of external mediation in the crisis in Burundi, which has been running for almost a year now. It was sparked in April last year when he announced, uh, the president announced that he would be running for another term. And his justification, even though there's a, a two-term limit in Burundi's constitution, he said the first time uh, he was elected president, he was not directly elected by the people. He was re- elected by uh, different uh, parties, which was part of the um, the peace agreement to mm-hmm. end uh, the civil war, which lasted from 1993 to 2005. So he said, well, like many, he said, well, my first term didn't really count. Um, it was a sim- similar argument uh, made by Sam Nuyoma in, um, in Namibia, who said, no, my first term didn't really count because there were different rules. And people, I think, were, were not happy about that and took to the streets and there was a big uh, clampdown and crackdown. Many people were, were killed. And then he went ahead anyway. He, he held, the election, they held the election in June. He was duly elected as, as president and the violence and the instability have continued. And uh, at the beginning of the year, the AU said that they would send a force of 5,000 men into, into Burundi to help restore calm. And the government refused. Uh, the government refused to accept it. And again, that shows the limits of these international organizations. The UN itself had uh, observers and, and, and many uh, uh, personnel in Burundi for, a, for, for quite a number of years. In January last year, or January 2014, I, I beg your pardon, uh, 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 President Kurunziza uh, asked for that mandate to be ended. That's an unusual thing. And uh, basically, there's a very, very thin presence of the UN on the ground in, in Burundi at the moment. 
And uh, yeah, Ban Ki Moon is going to try and say, well, how do we resolve this crisis? Later in the in the week, uh, President Zuma is actually going to be in Burundi um, with with four other African uh, heads of state who I think come from Mauritania. Um, Ethiopia, Gabon, and Senegal. He's leading. He's leading a team because, of course, he was also involved. Mm. Uh, he was one of the mediators in, in in ending the civil war there to try and see what can be done. You know, is it about power sharing talks? Is it about well, the first thing is about stopping the violence? Because even yesterday, uh, they have these armed gunmen that some that are masked and suddenly appear and shoot people in markets or throw bombs into markets. Three or four people mm. were killed yesterday. So, and and and, and there are, of course, those ongoing um, accusations of. Of, you know, people disappearing, yes. um, uh, those um, arbitrary arrests that are being effected on the streets of Bujumbura and elsewhere. So all of that happening and that places Ban Ki-moon under considerable pressure, I would think, to actually show, they have to show as the United Nations mm. that they are actually able to quell the violence in Burundi. And, and they're not going to be, be able to do that without troops. Uh, you know, he, he's taking a diplomatic track and, and, and talking, and that's very important in ending any conflict. But sometimes you actually have to have force there. You have to have men on the ground. But it's extremely difficult when the, the, the government of the country does not accept that force. So it would not accept a force from Africa. It's not going to accept a force uh, from the UN. And that's what they're going to try and, and, and convince him to do. So, uh, you know, it's also complicated because of the region in which Burundi is. I mean, we know that it's, it's one of its neighbors is Rwanda. And uh, everybody knows what happened in Rwanda in 1994. And Burundi has a very similar ethnic makeup. It's about 15% Hutu, mm. uh, Tutsi and, and 85% Hutu. There have been genocides in, in, in previous generations. But also there's accusations uh, of Rwanda harboring Burundian rebels, arming them, um, complicating the situation, interfering. So it's, it's, it's more complex than just, uh, just uh, uh, the events in one country. But it's, you know, it's staggering that all, this, all these problems have been happening in, in Burundi. And when earlier in the year the Peace and Security Council at the African Union in, in, in Addis in January was selecting members for the next term, uh, Burundi was elected and selected for, for the East Africa region. I mean, how does that happen? So the United Nations has to answer that. Uh, I mean, Ban Ki-moon? Well, you know, I'm not sure whether he he can sort of get involved in the inter-African politics of e- e- electing people to the Peace and Security Council, but certainly questions are being asked, and and uh, the UN is 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 uh, its effectiveness is is really being uh, is really being questioned. I think it's overstretched. I think there's so many uh, conflicts, many of them on our continent, that where the UN is involved, but you know, they just seem to drag on and on, and we don't uh, we don't get resolution. Okay, let's take some calls. Oh eight nine one one zero four two zero eight. Ali, you calling from Secunda? Good morning. Hello. Good morning. How are you? Well, and you? It is very good uh, to highlight problems um, that the African people are facing in terms of um, people who want to cling to the power. Uh, but uh, we report many times about uh, uh, Burundi and um, uh, Uganda and some other countries, but are we forgetting what is going on in Ethiopia? Only yesterday, 43 people have been lost their lives, and I don't see any coverage, uh, whether it's in South Africa or any, 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 I mean, you know, any country in the world. Are we really forgetting, or are we are we are we not hearing about what is going on in Ethiopia? Uh, uh, can you please uh, then, um, uh, I mean, uh, link that to the okay. guest? 
Thank you very much. Sure. Thank you so much, uh, Ali. Let's also just take a call from uh, Gift in uh, Port Elizabeth. Good morning, Gift. Good morning, Sakina, and good morning to your guest. Look, Sakina, I think leadership is a, uh, is a relational concept, meaning that unlike during the time of slavery or feudalism, leaders who not have permanent followers, and secondly, leaders are not unchangeable. Thirdly, they occupy the position through a relationship with those whom they assign to represent, and leaders can be removed, and followers can be leaders. And I think if leaders in Africa, in most of our countries in Africa, can realize and get this, uh, this input, and they will, they, they, will, they will know that power is not permanent. Uh, lastly, I, I think the challenge that we have in our continent is that is, is that of closing ranks as leaders. When our fellow leaders in Africa abuse power, erode civil liberties in order to stay in power, and, and, and we have seen this in many countries in Africa. Mm-hmm. And I think I think that the challenge again is that uh, uh, African Union must must adopt these two term limits for presidents in Africa. And I think a process must be started for constitutional amendment in some of these African countries because it's very rare in this age that you had leaders who want to cling into power for 30 years. I mean, I don't have a problem with President Mugabe, but I mean, for, for, for God's sake, he has been in power and he's 92 years. I mean, what a 92-year-old man can offer? There's no value anymore in that man. He just wants to cling into power. I'm sorry to say that. But in fact, that's not an apology. It's bad and it's pathetic. All right. That's a view from Gift in Port Elizabeth. We're going to go to a news break. When we- AM Live with Sakina Kamwendo on SAFM. on SAFM. The only thing better than a perfect sunrise. And before the break, I uh, spoke to Ali and to Gift. And let's just respond to them. Ali spoke about what's happening in Ethiopia. And, and I indicated earlier what's happening in the Horn of Africa because that is a region that, f- for some other obscure reason, we tend not to focus on, not to hear about, not sure why. But what's your take on what's going on there? Well, he's absolutely right. And I think, uh, indeed, there's a very situ- uh, serious situation going on in Ethiopia, and it doesn't make the news. I think part of the reason is that the the state is has a very heavy hand in, in Ethiopia, and, uh, you know, it's not so easy for journalists to, to get access there. I think the fact that the African Union is, is headquartered in Addis Ababa also sometimes kind of uh, makes it – very difficult to raise internal Ethiopian issues, but yes, people are people in the uh, Oromia region are, are dying uh, in, in in tens and scores. And uh, absolutely, I think I think we have a uh, not a blind spot, but there's a limited uh, attention span of the world as, as to what makes it, what makes headlines. I think you know the hotter the conflicts are, the more they make the headlines. So, and when there is an election, then the focus, the spotlight will turn to somewhere like. Uh, Uganda or, or Burundi, where there's an ongoing rumbling crisis, we hear about that more. But yeah, just uh, it's it's. Uh, or if it affects Western nations directly, yeah. as with uh, the, the the pirates uh, of the if, uh, East African yeah. coast, then we hear more about yes, it. Yes, uh, you know, I mean, you've also got uh, Somalia, which is, is collapsed as a state. Mm. There hasn't actually been a state, uh, a proper government there since uh, since the early nineties. And, uh, yes, it's a very, very unstable region. You, you mentioned it earlier. We have al-Shabaab operating in those areas, so uh, it becomes very difficult. Um, Gift's uh, comments, I, I agree completely. Uh, you know, and he's talking about the fact that, that the AU should um, uh, make sure that there are term limits in every
every country's constitution. In fact, things are going the other way. Just recently, Rwanda uh, um, held a, um, a process which will allow the constitution to be amended. And uh, there, the presidential term is seven years long. President Kagame has already had two seven-year terms and uh, will stand again in the next election. And, and so um, – What's also interesting is that the AU has a <clears throat> excuse me uh, a lot of uh, codes and standards that have to do with un- rejecting unconstitutional changes of government, and that is meant to prevent coups and uprisings and, and illegitimate uh, uh, taking taking power illegitimately. But yet, it's very very silent on on uh, term limits, and that's something that's come up uh, repeatedly. And and uh, African leaders don't want to confront one another over over this. And uh, instead of seeing more term limits, in fact, we're seeing less term limits. We're seeing in some countries uh, there have been failures to to extend term limits. And for example, in Zambia in the 1990s, also in, uh, in 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 Malawi, but others have been very successful in in actually uh, driving through these these uh, these these laws. So yes, uh, I think um, you know President uh, Obama said it when he when he came to visit Africa. I think last year. Where you know he said uh, pe- uh, leaders should not be there forever, but uh, I think he he was easily dismissed, and what he said is not going to change anything. And unfortunately, you do have uh, many leaders trying to stay in power, whatever the costs. Mm. All right, let's uh, just before I go back to the lines. The other important issue that Gift touched upon mm. was that of civic education mm. of um, voters of, of of citizens not knowing their rights. Yes, and I think uh, you know often it's difficult for people in the rural areas. They don't get exposed to a lot of voter education. Um, they get can get quite easily um, their, their contact with government is is sometimes you know uh, agricultural subsidies or free seed to plant, uh, or, or in in some cases uh, when there's a, a welfare state, they're getting uh, bonuses. Uh, uh, sorry. Uh, uh, grants and benefits, and it's it's very easy to make the argument that if the other guys come in, these benefits are going to be taken away from you. So yes, civic education, voter education remains a huge uh, re- remains a huge issue on our mm. continent. But we also can't ignore the West and the influence that the West is exerting on the African continent and uh, some of those uh, destabilizing efforts. But we'll come back to that. Let's just take uh, some uh, listeners' calls once more. Oh eight nine one one zero four two zero eight. David Glenwood in Durban. Good morning. Thank you. Good morning. Um, you know, this this just boils down to, um, uh, in my view, two main main problems. Um, uh, one which you've already alluded now, the lack of water education. But then the other one, which is very very critical, is the alliance. Like I think your your guest there is, is also touched with prison. Because let's let's go a few years back, or maybe just a decade back, with the situation in in in, in Zimbabwe. You know, there was a time when uh, everyone thought really really them. Um, the opposition part of the NDC there was going to to easily take power. But you know what crushed them? What crushed them is countries like South Africa, countries like Zambia, countries like um, like Mozambique, and, um, um, uh, and and other countries there. Because there was lack of, of support for the opposition, not because of its credibility, no, but because of the fear of, you know, I love, you know, I think if you remember the article which Molesin Becky wrote about uh, my about the, the uh, alliance which political parties that have um, liberated, especially countries in the southern Africa, how how powerful the, it, it, it is. If only that we'd broken that that curse, because right now it looks as if you know, um, uh, that the political powers, 
that have liberated us from the from from our our past colonies. They are the ones who now have a, like a sort of God-given right, which is not. So we, the young people, end up saying that you no, know, like like one one voter in Zimbabwe was was joking and saying that you no, know, if this is the case, then why don't you give the country back to the colonial um, uh, powers? Let us also fight for it so that we also get a right. So when you get now to and and one other thing I which I just want to raise, which I think are your guests who actually touching that. Look, organizations like the the UN or the AU were formed because of of, of wars. When you look at the UN, it was formed in 1945 because of of World War II. Now it baffles me that after over a half a century of of this drama of this women being in power, you we don't have a law or actually just a decree or an agreement that you know there is a force that can forcefully remove government because right now if you are if you are saying that you no know, the AU does not um, um uh, does not realize government that um, are, are like are, 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 are like coming in power forcefully what about those who are staying in power forcefully what what it just makes it just makes no sense so okay. really, really i think i think it's a matter of really really just getting back to the drawing board and making us where where force needs to be used like in burundi let force be used let the government be, be taken out of power thank you so much dave uh, lorraine you're also in durban morningside good morning Hello, you Lauren. and your guest. And oh, good morning. Can you hear me? I can hear you now. Hi. Good morning to you and your guests and all the listeners. Uh, the gentleman who called previously stole my thunder. I seriously question why the AU cannot have drawn into the Constitution a rule which says any leader should govern for an X number of years and no more because that is the crux of the matter in Africa. I mean, you know, when we look for investments and there's uh, foreign countries who want to come here from outside of Africa, they look at all that's going on here. And uh, seriously, uh, Sakina, would you invest where you see so much going on that's negative? I mean, coming back to the AU, you know, um, they are conspicuous by their absence. I mean, we've had an election that was rigged in the sense that it was unfair. I mean, somebody who's democratically elected to represent his constituent is confined to a space where nobody knows how and what and, you know, tampering with uh, communications, etc., etc. And we still want to say that Africa must be governed by Africans. Really, it can happen, but as long as we carry on on this trajectory, I cannot see how that's going to happen. Thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it. Bye. Thank you, Lorraine. In Morningside, uh, Katsitswe in uh, Cape Town. Good morning. I uh, lost him there. Okay, let's try and answer these. We'll come back. Okay, apparently is there. Uh, Katsitswe in Cape Town. Good morning. Uh, good morning, Sakina, and good morning to your guest. Uh, actually, you, you know, I'm quite, uh, you know, it, it's quite sad to, you know, to first of all, I'm from the Congo. And uh, I know uh, actually what's happening in those uh, countries where you find that presidents, they are sitting on power for, you know, for a for, for long time. And uh, I think we 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 focusing on, on other things because those presidents actually, they've, they've been appointed. They are not really voted. They've been appointed by power force, outside forces. So when they've been appointed, they are there to serve the people who appointed them. And they will sit on the seat for for a long time. And, uh, you know, the people on the ground, they've got no no say because look like in Uganda. The president has been there for, <laughs> for, for, for long. And 
he's been even feed they feed him from the the westerns because he has to you know he has to 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 to, to to make sure that the agenda that they they, are, they want to do in the in the in the Grand Lakes uh, must be there for 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 long time, and it's quite sad. And we see presidents like you know presidents that are, are, are have been voted like South African president or people countries where there is uh, there is election like proper elections, they still supporting those those those, those guys, and you know it's it, it's very sad, and, and we. You know, when look look the DRC, there will be election. There's supposed to be election in November, but now the president still, you know, making sure that everything gonna be postponed and he can stay in power. And we are watching that 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 uh, disaster that is coming. We, we we are watching it until it's gonna become like Burundi, like you know, Uganda. It's quite sad. It's very sad. Kasitwe, uh, thank you for the call. Bongani, you're in Kronstadt. Hello. Hello, Bongani. Yes, how are you, man? Good, and you? All right. I'm coming from Kostad, but I'm from Zimbabwe, Zimbabwean citizen. Yes, Bongani. Yes, I'm, I'm falling to complain about the African leaders who stay too much in power. Like Robert Mugabe is the one who is the number one to get in Africa, but every time when you... You, you, you invite your guests today. Everyone is afraid to call that Mugabe is a dictator. Mugabe is stealing votes, but all African leaders, they seem to respect Mugabe so much. I don't know why. And now I've become not being, I'm not now part of being African. I wish I was born maybe somewhere in Europe. Because African leaders, I happen to be a minority in Zimbabwe. We are being butchered today. And no one is, is making Mugabe thing accountable. Okay. Even, yeah, now, yeah, okay, thank you, Mama. Thank you so much, uh, Bongani in Kronstadt. Uh, Sebastian in Cape Town, good morning. Yes, morning to you both. In Nigeria, there's an extremely important struggle going on, which uh, basically has ramifications for the whole of Africa. The Nigerian president is actually standing up against foreign financial institutions, which include our Investec who are wanting to devalue his currency, the Nigerian currency. And basically he's saying, I cannot see anything in a devaluation that will actually be of benefit to the majority of our population, and the majority of our population will actually be negatively affected. Now, this struggle is going on at the moment. Uh, uh, this, is, this president is an, actually an African hero because he's doing what many uh, uh, countries should have done and have not. Uh, he's standing up against... Uh, the pillaging of his country through the devaluation of the currency. And that's something we should be doing in this uh, country where our Reserve Bank has a mandate to protect the currency and has absolutely failed to fulfill it. So more attention should be given to this struggle which is ongoing. The pressures of the outside financial world against Mm -hmm. the the Nigerian government who are actually standing up for what? are the interests of the majority of the population, which is not devaluing your currency. Thank you so much for that, uh, um, Sebastian. Let's take Eddie also in Cape Town. Morning, Eddie. Morning, ma'am. Um, just, um, all the callers have just taken whatever I wanted to say, but here's the thing. I don't know whether your guests can comment on this. I listened to Bert de Mantashe the other day uh, for, uh, when the ANC was marching against racism, and he says, um, the U.S. wants to do a regime change in Africa. 
in South Africa. And I, and, and I was searching all over and thinking, um, do they want to take out Jacob Zuma? Do they want to, you know, this is a rhetoric that African leaders, when they um, um, go to their cell by date, will hang on to power by uh, uh, making their people afraid that if they are out of power, nobody else can really uh, be um, uh, rule the country as they do. And then moving on quickly, I, I don't know whether, Sakina, you saw, um, 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 what's this guy, the former uh, Black Management Forum, uh, um, what's his name, this guy now, who said, African leaders must now shy away from um, always blaming colonialists when some of the problems are actually being caused by them, really, because if you look... Um, Jimmy no, not Jimmy Mania, the guy after him, um, he mm. used to be the chairman of, of Shell, he used to be chairman oh, of Shell. Oh, Bonang Mohale, Bonang yes, Mohale. Bonang Mohale, yes, yeah. and, and someone stood up in that crowd and said, uh, don't be pessimistic about Africa, and I thought, well, the signs are there for everyone to see, really. I don't know why um, this is happening. So uh, I think the guy who said uh, civil education, I think you mentioned that as well, Sakin. I think that's one big thing in Africa because... Um, in Africa, if we reach a stage, for example, where um, the government is not the, the majority uh, uh, employer or the majority benefactor to people, then maybe we will reach a stage where people will stand up and say, here and now it stops, you know. Thank you so much um, uh, there to Eddie. Uh, we're going to go to a break and then I'll come back. I'll read some of your messages and hopefully then Stephen could just give us, you know, a response, short response to all of what you've raised. It's your favorite time of the morning. The Forum at 8 with Sakina Kamwendo. Favorite time of the morning on AM Live can't believe the time we're talking about africa this morning so let me read some of your messages um get them in here lesiba rampisa and khobokwane says all the examples your guest is raising from all over africa tells you that south africa remains a better place to live in thanks to the leadership of the african national congress makwetu rafael and nelspreit says have africans internalized adversity and oppression that they keep on voting for people who cause them misery Museveni has won elections in south africa after president zuma his wife will take over and Mugabe is untouchable, are the Africans experiencing a leadership crisis? This one says, um, it was Joseph Stalin who once said, uh, the people who cast the votes decide nothing. The people who count the votes are the ones who decide everything. Temba and KZN says, SK, reasons behind valid or invalidation of election depends on hidden sponsors of these candidates with hidden interests. So it's not easy to nullify elections. Mageba and Pretoria says, African leaders must continue to defy and undermine the neoliberal dictates of two-term limits and other directives from the West. Why should we be like the West? And Quirson Joburg says, the challenges facing the African continent fundamentally are as a result of the phenomenon called permanent leadership. The fact that we still have in countries presidents who have ruled for decades, some of whom have long passed their oct- octogenarian milestones portrays Africa as a prehistoric dinosaur. We cannot ignore the complicity of Western powers in supplying weapons to African countries to perpetuate some of the violence. Okay, let's just respond to all of that now. Well, there's a lot to to take in. I'll try and uh, 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 cover as much as possible. Um, 
The first caller, Dave, talked about why is there no force to remove governments that stay in power? And Lorraine also asked why why can't the AU have a, a clause that says you govern for X number of terms and no more? I think a lot of that boils down to the fact of how uh, the, the way our international system is arranged. And it remains largely a system of states. And states have sovereignty, which means that what happens – uh, within the borders uh, is usually off limits to international institutions and organizations, even the institutions and organizations that we create. So if you look at Southern Africa, SADC, or the AU, they, these institutions move so slowly because at the end of the day, it's national interests and state interests that are dominant. And uh, nobody's going to want to vote themselves out of power. Nobody wants to change the electoral system to, 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 to vote themselves out of power. I mean, uh, it's, it's very rare that you will see uh, these kind of reforms because the vested interests have, have something at stake. Um, uh, there was also the question of hidden interests and hindered, hidden sponsors. I think that's a very important question. And, and in many countries, including in our own, we do not have transparency in terms of who is contributing to political parties. Mm. It's been a fight that NGOs have been fighting in South Africa for a long time with very little results. We don't know what individuals, foreign or domestic, make contributions to political parties and, and therefore buy interest. And in many African countries, it's the same. There's no transparency. There's no accountability. We don't know who's paying uh, for the adverts and the billboards and the sacks of milli meal that are being distributed. And those people are, are, are distorting and, and uh, affecting the way the democratic process um, is, is happening. Um, there were a lot of number of calls about uh, President Mugabe. I think I, I don't have much to say. I think your caller said it all. He's been in power since 1980. I was still in primary school in 1980. Um, it's a very, very long time. The man is 92, but I think there's a fear of what's going to happen and uh, when he goes and who's going to come uh, after him. And there's big struggles within ZANU-PF. There are definitely two camps and two factions. And uh, there have been some, some elections that, uh, that have been very, very questionable in Zimbabwe. Uh, but nobody lives forever. So that situation is going to be some kind of cabinet reshuffle uh, one way or the other. You know, he's, he, he's an old man. Um, the, the call about uh, who, who mentioned Nigeria was very interesting. I hadn't heard that story. But what I do know is that President Buhari, who uh, is, is, uh, was elected last year, um, has been very deliberate, um, very cautious, uh, took a long time to name his cabinet, is moving, uh, in, I think, in the right direction, is, is in introducing some important reforms. And if he is indeed standing up to financial institutions, uh, that, that is probably a good thing. Um, the caller who talked about uh, the DRC and the, the fact that uh, it's likely that President Kabila might want to postpone elections, that can be a very dangerous game. It happened uh, in Ivory Coast with Laurent Gbagbo, who repeatedly uh, p- uh, postponed elections, and I think that ratcheted up the political tension. And when those elections eventually ha- were held, they were very controversial and actually very violent. So uh, I think leaders should respect um, the, the, the need to uh, hold elections when they're supposed to hold them. Um, the comment about the U.S. trying to do regime change in South Africa, I'm not so sure. Um, I don't. Uh, I, I don't buy that one, and I think it, it's. Uh uh, it was an interesting thing for him to have said. Um, I mean, there's no doubt that the, these, uh, the big powers do have uh, the CIA, like in the case of America, and they are you know, watching what's happening all around the world. But uh, I, I really don't 
uh, have much store that that a regime change is being plotted. I think it's also sometimes when when a party's back is to the wall, and some would say the ANC is under uh, quite a lot of pressure going into the local government elections this year, that uh, the race card uh, is, is easy to play, and the foreign uh, foreign interference card is related to that one. Um, so how far is it really all that far fetched, given that? There have been instances where this has been proven to be the case. Yeah, there have been. I, I, I just seriously doubt in a country as sophisticated as, as South Africa that the U.S. would be actively plotting. I mean, what, what, what counts as that? Does that mean if you support opposition parties? Is that, is that plotting uh, regime change? If you, you know, uh, pl- planning on sending in troops? If you providing money for civil society to do their work? Um, uh, you know, often the state wants to control everything that happens, and and uh, um, I'd like to see his evidence for this, uh, for for making that claim. It's a it's a very interesting one, and of course, so many others we didn't even get to mm. touch on. I mean, we touched on Nigeria, we didn't talk about uh, Boko Haram, but I think um, the issue that uh, Eddie raised there, a very uh, Sebastian about the economy, is also one that perhaps we need to isolate and talk about, especially um, during this time when there's a lot of drought and famine mm. on the continent and how that is impacting on matters. Then there's uh, Mozambique next door and um, citizens actually fleeing to Malawi. And the government obviously saying that, but there's no civil war in Mozambique. But we do know that there is uh, some flare-up between uh, Frelimo and Renamo in some of the strategic parts of the country, and that is displacing people in those parts. Yeah, very much. You know, in Mozambique, and I think, I think, uh, yeah, you've had you've had uh, Renamo kind of pull away from from co- cooperation and, and go back to the bush. I wouldn't say it's a civil war, but there's definitely some some low level action and dissatisfaction. And you know, we have porous borders in, in on our continent, and people move. And and uh, you you mentioned the drought and the uh, the famine. I think it's a very very serious question. I think it's going to bring. You know, climate change, which we were all expecting in 20 years or 50 years or 100 years, a big drought like we've had now brings that home and food security becomes a huge issue and puts governments and populations under, under immense pressure. Well, I guess that's where we're going to have to leave it. Unfortunately, the continent is so large that we're just never going to get to it all. But uh, thank you so much uh, for your participation and helping us talk about some of the issues on your mind. And to uh, Stephen uh, Grust, uh, thank you so much for coming through. He's, of course, uh, program head at uh, the APRM and governance at the South African Institute of International Affairs.